Hello listeners! In our first episode, we dove into the realities of Illinois as a free state and the establishment of many social and legal restrictions for African Americans. In our second episode, we explored Lovejoy's fight for the abolishment of slavery and his stand for freedom of the press. This episode leads us to the establishment of freedom communities, settlements along the river in Illinois where freed and fugitive slaves found refuge, safety, and a new beginning. This is Shannon. And I'm Stephanie. Welcome to All Town USA. One way to learn about Alton's history is to take the Underground Railroad tour, which starts from the Alton Visitor Center. You'll visit historic sites around town and learn stories about significant buildings and people. We took this tour, and one of the individuals that stood out the most was the Harriet Tubman of the West, Priscilla Baltimore. Also known as Mother, Baltimore was a nurse and former slave. After purchasing her freedom and her husband's, she led fugitive African-American families across the Mississippi River into Illinois in 1829. There she formed a freedom village, just north of East St. Louis and 40 miles from Alton. Now present-day Brooklyn, it was incorporated as a city in 1873 and to this day is predominantly African-American. Starting in the 1890s, Brooklyn was popularly known as Lovejoy, and both the school and post office were named out of respect for the martyr, Elijah P. Lovejoy. There are a few Alton-area churches that were started in the 1830s by former slaves. Union Baptist on 7th Street is one of them, and New Bethel African Methodist Episcopal, or AME for short, is another, located a few miles outside of Alton and Godfrey. This area is known as Rocky Fork and is the main focus of this episode. Freedom communities such as Rocky Fork often became stops or destinations along the Underground Railroad. Common symbols that helped escaping slaves navigate their way included lanterns, quilts, knocks on doors, and messenger trees. The message tree is up there in the Boy Scout camp, which we owned before it was a Boy Scout camp. And what's the significance of the messenger tree? Well, the slaves would leave their messages in it for people coming from Missouri over here to Illinois, which was a free state. Mm -hmm. And they give directions where they were in, in this area, you know. And it was about as big as round as this truck. It was a cottonwood tree. That was Rich Edwards, lifelong church member at the Rocky Fork New Bethel AME Church. Well, we were moved out here in 1948. I think I was five years old at the time. And my mom grew up out here. She was a Kennedy. <gasps> Florine Kennedy, and I grew up out here till I was 15 years of age. And I loved it out here, and I still do. And it's part of history. And my mom used to tell me all the time, you know, this is where slaves come in, down at the creek. What follows is a glimpse into the resilience and faith that has kept this church family together for over 150 years. You'll hear from Brian Williams, the pastor of the New Bethel AME Church for the past 15 years, and Rich Edwards. Both say their family ties date all the way back to the founders of the church. We sat down with Brian and Rich after a Sunday service. When we met with them, we thought we were just going to meet some of the congregation and learn their history. 
What we received was much more. So we're pulling in towards the church. Looks like a one-room schoolhouse. And so all across the the land surrounding the church are um, headstones. Some sticking up from the ground, some laying flat. Erasmus, I know he was a serviceman right. yeah, in the Civil War, and it was after he came back, uh, you know, he wanted to do, you know, have the church out here. Because, like I said, back in that time, there was a big community out here. In the 1830s, a Rocky Fork AME group held church in their homes until Civil War veteran and Reverend Erasmus Green, alongside A.J. Heineman, built the Rocky Fork AME Church in 1863. Green vowed that Rocky Fork will always be a place of refuge against trouble and strife. But it was land owned by a white man, but right. he allowed the yeah. right. right. And place. he owned all of this. Okay. Right. That's what I was told, you know, uh, during that time. And, you know, they still was working for him, but yet they were able to purchase the land and whatnot. And so, I don't know, it's just, to me, it, it just, you know, the way God works, you know, it's exactly. just, it just wonderful. Over time, families within the Rocky Fork community purchased land from the Hollies and Spaldings in return for working on the estate. At the height of the settlement, 45 families owned 200 acres of land. Dad had six kids, six boys and one girl. And that was the only way that black folks could live, you know. This place out here, my mom, my grandfather used to live out here. It was paid for. The only thing he had to do was pay for electricity. That was it. We had well water, and we just lived out here. That's it. And then we moved on Della Street in Alton in 58, where my dad's mom and dad lived, and they bought that place. But I can remember way back when in the 50s, we couldn't live anywhere. Coloreds, you know, for coloreds, that's what it was. But it's not that way anymore. That's one good thing about it. If you got the money, you can buy anything. Due to erosion and natural forces in the 1920s, the church was moved to its current location, closer to the main road. The church was christened New Bethel AME. New Bethel means house of God. I could show you Ann Bell. And the original church was up here? Yeah. Where the Rich took are. us on a walk around the church, pointing out the many grave sites of founding members and families of the Rocky Fork community. By our estimate, there has to be hundreds. However, so many markers are overgrown and lost in what is now dense forest. And see, a lot of these graves where people didn't, you know, they didn't have the money to mm -hmm. have headstones. And this one grave is where I told you where. As a child coming out here, I learned that, you know, it gave me such a, a, such a foundation of belonging. 
because um, the only time we ever came out, you know, starting out when I was young, was doing the funerals. Realizing through the years of all the people that were out here, I was connected to all the ones that had already left here. I was connected to, and I kind of felt a connection, but I didn't really understand the connection because there were so many different names on the on the grave. And then, as I got older, I realized that when I heard about uh, A.J. Hyman, when I heard about Erasmus Green, I realized, okay, and some of the other factors that you know families lived back there out and down the woods and whatnot. You know, it was a community and whatnot, and so it became more personal to me then, you know? And um, realizing, I, I really, I tagged on to the fact, the fact that roots were here from my family. And the point that, you know, it was like a sense of belong, a belonging. That was part of the reason why I decided to come out here and make Rocky Fork, New Bethel AME Church, you know, uh, my place of worship, my place uh, 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 of glory, uh, to praise the Lord. And uh, it's, you know, as you see later on in life, you know, as I begin to grow and things start to develop, I, uh, you know, decided to be pastor here, you know. And he found out he knew about the people that he didn't meet. Like he said, later on in life, he knew who they were. <laughs> and they were all kinfolks. Just like him and I. I can remember back in the 50s when a lot of these people that are buried out here now were alive, and my mom and dad. And we'd come out here and we'd always have a picnic every summer. And all the women would bake anything and everything. And we'd have tables all the way down this side up here. And your Smatlock used to farm this where you parked. All of those trees were gone. And he would harvest his corn and we'd have picnics down there all the way. As far as cars, they were lined up all the way to the Boy Scout camp on both sides of the road. It was nice. I mean, it was just people everywhere. 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 And I'm trying to get that back. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. By the 1960s, roughly five families remained on the land. Many had moved into town and attended churches closer to their homes. What remains of the original black-owned Rocky Fork settlement is 26 acres, owned by Rich and his cousin. What we have found out over the years is that the ones who came here first, you know, they took value in, you know, having the property and whatnot. It's the later generation that looked at it and didn't see the value in it. You know, that's why, you know, a lot of people that, that lived out here moved out, you know, when the kids got old enough, they moved into town. And, you know, I, I live in town and I wish, you know what I'm saying, I could come out here and, and put a spot out here. You know, I see the value and I see the, the love and all the goodness of it, you know, and, uh, you know, I don't know. I just, it's rich, not only just with my history, with our history, but it's just rich in, in, in every sense about it.
During the early morning hours of Saturday, April 16, 1988, the church was burned down. Did the community help rebuild? There was quite a few of them that helped. In the months following the fire, many white and black churches in Alton helped raise money, and the local radio station, WBGZ, held a six-hour phonathon that raised $28,000 in cash and construction materials. Reconstruction of the new church began in June, led by a local contractor who donated a crew of around 30 men to help build the church. However, on October 18th, two weeks before the new church was going to be dedicated, it was burned down once again, just six months after the first burning. The arsonist was 18-year-old Altonian James Russell Calvin. His defense was that he had heard from his friends that it was a devil-worshipping church. In order to combat the apparent racist-motivated attacks on his church, the reverend at the time, Stephen Jackson, helped organize a rally for religious and racial equality. Apparently more than 100 members of AME churches in the area and surrounding states attended. Money was raised once again, and a new church was built in the same location, where it remains to this day. News of the two church burnings in one year made national news. The McNeil Lehrer News Hour on PBS ran a lengthy feature story about the church and its members. Prior to the church being burned down twice in 88, a pipe bomb destroyed the basement in 1974, and there are several instances of vandalism, such as broken windows, overturned pews, toppled and stolen tombstones, and racial slurs painted on the doors and sidewalks. When the subdivision, when they first built it, there was kids that used to come down here, and that's vandalized it and everything else and burn it. Yeah, it's been vandalized several times. <laughs> People just do things, knock out windows. We got a window knocked out now. Um, they would throw rocks from there and come here, busted out windows. He had graffiti written everywhere, pews knocked over. You know, I thank God that we're, you know, we're able to rebuild, you know, we're able to still be here and uh, for the right reasons, you know, and not just because somebody don't want you here, but because, you know, we're here for the right reason, uh, because we love the Lord. There's so many times I come here with an idea of what I had to do and what, you know, I had planned on doing, what I worked on. And it's just, the good Lord just wiped my brain clear. And I'm like, what am I preaching? And, you know, I'm looking down at the word there and I'm reading the word. And I'm like, he said, this is what I want you to preach on. And, you know, just from that experience, I got to the point to where, you know, I go to him first, you know, learning that, you know, to go to the good Lord first before I bring a message. Because so often, you know, the message that I plan. It's not the mess that need to be heard at that time. So I'm like, Lord, I'm leaving it up to you. <laughs> you know, what is it that you want me to say today? What is it that you want me to, you know, uh, uh, speak on today? And um, so far, so good, Lord. Keep blessing me. After church one Sunday, Rich drove us up to the family property in Rocky Fork 
and reminisced about his time living on the land. And when my mom was about 40 years old, when we lived out here, we'd walk from our house all the way up to the church. And then before the fire, <laughs> Clifford Matlock would come and he'd ring the bell before church and we could hear out here. As when old sand goes, clears the bell, you know. And we get ready and go to church. And I went to the Greens going to church back in the early 50s. And they had a wagon. We would all get in the wagon and go to church. Are you saying station wagon or what type of wagon? A horse and buggy. <laughs> okay. I want <laughs> just making sure. Yeah. <laughs> and this used to be our garden and everything. What all did you grow? Everything from lettuce cabbage, tomatoes, green beans, lima beans, just about everything. Carrots. And remember I was telling you last week when it was hot and dry and there wasn't that much rain, we'd have to walk down to that creek and five gallon buckets of water and bring it back up to the garden and water the, everything. If you can imagine that. If you're like us, we couldn't get enough of hearing Rich talk about growing up here. It makes us long for our childhood days when life was simpler, filled with curiosity and the outdoors. Rich and Brian went on to tell us more about what life was like in Rocky Fork. That's just like I was talking about fishing. I'd tell mom, I says, I'm gonna go down there and catch some fish. I'd bring them home, dress them out, and that's what we'd have for supper. And as far as anything else, we raised out there. Remember I showed you the flat spot? I was, when I was coming up, love fishing. <laughs> love fishing. I mean, me and my buddies, we'd go fishing 14 hours. My mom used to tease me and didn't have anything, didn't catch anything. So I came out here with my cousin West. I want to go fishing. I want to go fishing. I said, all right, let's go fishing. So I bought my stuff and drove down. He said, oh, we're going to go down here to the creek and fish down here. I said, fishing a creek? You know, creek ain't got much water, ain't no, what, you know, minnows or whatever, <laughs> you know. So anyway, he took me to this one area and we went, it's like a little cliff to go down this hill. And so there was like no hole no bigger than this pew, water <laughs> hole. It was three of them and they were separate. I'm like, you fishing in some holes, you know. And so he like, you know, I'm thinking, okay, fine, you know, I'm standing by this and put my pole in, he, had, he did his. I'm like, you know, fish in this. <laughs> he said, uh-huh. He took a piece of bread, threw it in the water. And this big old, and it was a cart, but this big old cart come up. <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway, we, we had a good time. He had me, you know, just laughing or whatever. And um, we caught fish. We actually caught fish in there. You know, that's one of the things I love about this place. When they lived out here, man, everything was out here. You know, if you live off the land, everything. Everything. I mean, people come out here all the time mushroom hunting. Rich also told us about a fun connection to a famous Altonian. Well, you guys heard of Robert Wadlow. Lovingly known as the Alton Giant, Wadlow still holds the record for the world's tallest man. Wadlow was born and raised in Alton in 1918 and grew to be 8 feet 11 inches. I had a crush on his cousin, Sherry Wadlow. And I had a crush on her so big... 
that I kissed her one time and she wiped it off and everything. But still, a few years ago, down in Wood River, and she looked at me and she says, Rich Edwards. I said, yeah. I says, who are you? She says, I'm Sherry Watlow. And I thought, well, Jesus, I don't believe this. <laughs> you know, we were kids. But she remembered me. Rich grew up in the 50s and 60s. He recalls experiencing a different kind of lifestyle when he would visit town with his family and friends. Segregation was the norm for most establishments around that time. And it's important for us to remember that it wasn't that long ago. Oh, we could walk inside, but we'd have to leave after that. How did that make you feel? Were you aware of it? Oh, yeah, we were aware of it then because we couldn't go down and eat. Of course, I've done that many a time since then. But still, you know, you still have that thought when you feel like you were a second-class citizen. And nobody's better than anybody else, no matter what they do or say. That's the way it is. Do you still feel like there's that kind of climate downtown still or well it's not as bad a lot of places you couldn't go to there was one restaurant down there that blacks couldn't go to you know and way back then this was in the 50s you couldn't sit there the bathrooms were blacks and whites were over here same water and everything but still it was different (laughs) You know. We asked Rich if he felt safe living in Rocky Fork. Real safe. This was about the only really safe place it was. There was no worries, you know. When I got back here, it felt safe. Yeah. Ten plus years after Rich and his family moved out of his house, it was burned down along with other homes in the community. This happened in the 1970s. The arsonist was never caught. Some speculate it was racially motivated. But what is certain was that this community never questioned its right to live and worship here. How did your family respond? Oh, mom cried like a baby because she was born and raised out here, you know. The time moves on. The property now is overgrown, but the foundation of his house remains hidden in a thick sea of brush. Rich, however, knows exactly where to find it off the gravel road. A tall tree that sat in their front yard marks the spot, and ferns that his mother planted along the side of the road are still there, guiding you towards where the front door would be. When we do have a family event out here, a lot of the folks come here and some, you can see those who value that and those in the family that don't. And I'll leave that to the point to where the well, reason why you probably don't is because you don't, you haven't, nobody's taught you or told you the rich history that we have. No one's, you know, because if you, if you sit down you take the time and you go down to the creek, like he said, and you see where they fished at and you see where, you know, kids played in the creek and with, you know, that was their swimming pool. It made the best of uh, uh, something that now is, you know, it's up for sale. Somebody wants it. It's valuable. And things have, have changed. I don't know, you know. 
We know that the world guys keep moving on, but still, back in the day, we had a rich life out here. No money, but you know, just in things that we love to do. Is the history of Rocky Fort getting taught in local schools, do you know? Not that I know of, and I can say that because there's a lot of history that I know that's not being really taught, that should be taught. Yeah. Uh, I know at one time, we used to have uh, uh, some elementary schools that would make us part of their class trips. And they would come out and, and we would uh, you know, have something for them. And we'd give them the history of the church and whatnot. And then we would fix the food that they would eat back then. And you know, and they got a big kick out of it. I mean, I did too. I don't know, it's something I might think about doing again. You know, I haven't done it in a while. Why do you think that's changed? Why, I mean, people local have changed. Schools, it, yeah. It's not the land, it's just the people. Yeah. When you were growing up here, did you know how important, like how historically important this land is? I never really thought about it, you know. I'd ask my mom and stuff, you know, and she'd tell me things, you know, the message tree and this and that and other, the creek. But, you know, when you're young, it goes in one ear and out the other. You never thought of it until you get older and have <laughs> more than common sense. But uh, this property has been, people have been trying to get it for the longest for whatever reason um, and whatnot, you know. And they wanted to move the church, move to, uh, the burial ground and whatnot. And to me, you know, the roots that are here are deeper than what they realized, you know. So just taking this and moving it somewhere else wasn't, wasn't going wasn't gonna to happen. Uh, we had to go to a lot of courts in Springfield to get uh, our rights, which I thought was already done. You know, so now we're not going to worry about nobody moving us or forcing us out, you know, because of whatever development that comes. They want to build homes out here, but because we're here, you know, they can't. Rocky Fork recently earned a spot on the National Park Service's Network to Freedom Passport Program. Other sites nearby include the Lincoln National Heritage Area and the Lewis and Clark National Historic Trail. Someone in your family will take over property? I hope so. Nieces and nieces, nephews, nephews and since it's been in the family ever since 1863, you know. What's your hope for our youth? It's to let the, you know, for them to realize that there is a foundation. To realize what was done in the past, you know, is, is you should build from it and not allow it to dictate your future. One of the things I've, uh, that my grandmother always told me, and that was to, you know, always try to improve yourself. And whatever it is that you try to do, whatever it is that you think that you're capable of, you know, you can do that and plus more. I never had any kids to bring them up right. You know, no one's better than anyone else. We all gotta live and die. And that's the word, you know. We were born to die. But what you do within your life proceeds everything else. 
Let's try to be good people, no matter what color they are. And we're all just brothers and sisters. In our next episode, we are going to take a look at historical landmarks around Alton, such as what landmarks exist, what's missing, what the process is, and how those decisions are made. The Payasa bird being one example. Oh, they painted something vastly different than that. Vastly different. Vastly different. They painted a water panther. But then in the 1920s, they decided, well, it's a bird now. Because, you know, in 1837, they blew up the original Payasa to build a railroad between Alton and Grafton or something. Well, anyway, they blew it up and uh, they totally erased it. And then they replaced it with something that is just, you know, a white people mascot for a crazy river town. Now he's beginning, he, he's talking about the beginning of a trend mm-hmm. where the, the cultural value or the, the, the cultural marker, whether it be a school, a big bird on the side of a cliff, uh, or whether it be anything else. Uh, it's, in Alden, it gets torn down and there's no marker. We just need to have those trends reversed. All Town USA is written, produced, and edited by Shannon Briggs and Stephanie Young. Theme music by Will and Janet Buchanan with additional mixing by Darren Pierce. Special thanks to Rich Edwards, Pastor Brian Williams, and the New Bethel AME Church.